I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sansbury. Um, so, excuses if we look like we're playing with some new toys, but we are a little bit, but hopefully they look nice. But you'll also have noticed, that those of you who are watching the live stream, that we are joined already with our guest this evening, Simon Bosher. Welcome, Simon. Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you for agreeing to join us. And yes. Well, new technology. You surprised me by not asking Alexa what the time was. So we're we're already in disarray. Not that I'm pointing the finger or blaming anybody. Well, you know, I just want to see if you're on your feet. So apologies for that. Um, but it, uh, yeah, okay, sorry. But, um, but should we get underway? But yes, yes, we've got a new gizmo. So if you are typing along in Facebook Live or watching on YouTube, the chat will appear. Simon will manage it all, I'm sure, and I will just keep rambling on as as is my way so uh perfect so uh, delighted to have simon bosher with us councillor for drayton and farlington simon yes indeed ian drayton oh. and farlington councillor for um 20 years it'll be come next may good lord and part of a uh, part of the the boy band that uh that is yourself ryan brent and friend of the pod terry norton I wouldn't necessarily. Well, they may well be a boy band. I don't think I qualify for that, to be quite honest. <laughs> no problem. So, um, just taking on the the role of conservative group leader. So, for for those that don't know you, can you just give us a brief kind of how did you end up in the the world of local politics, and just give us a a bit of a an insight into you? Well, I've I've always been um, conservative by nature, anyway. But I was quite heavily involved in the 90s in the attempts to keep Fratton Park out of its relocation to, to Farlington. Um, I, I wasn't one of the leading lights. I was more one of the very active foot soldiers in that and drove around really slowly in, in the Drayton and Farlington area to demonstrate traffic problems and the such like. Uh, and when it came to about 2002, we had uh, the City Council had uh, an all out, all in election. Um, and two of the Drayton and Farlington councillors at that time, Ian Gibson and, and Fred Warner, who sadly passed away about uh, two, three weeks ago, uh, both decided that, that was their opportunity to stand down. So we needed two new candidates uh, for Drayton and Farlington, and somebody suggested I put my name forward for it. Um, I foolishly agreed to something which I didn't know what I was letting myself in for, as you do. Um, Put my uh, was uh, selected and uh, approved uh, for Drayton and Farlington. Stood in 2002. The rest, as they say, is is history. Why why Drayton and Farlington? Well, I'm a Pompey boy. I grew up in Farlington. I went to the Solent schools. I went to Springfield, um, and so I'm at uh, and I actually live in Farlington. And so do four generations of my family. So. I'm actually representing the community that I actually grew up in as much as anything else, which led to some interesting conversations on the doorstep in 2002 with a lot of people saying, I remember you when you were at school. And then you start to get that hot flush as to whether they remember you in a or otherwise. <laughs> 
So what what about outside of politics? Kind of because uh, obviously people are seen as councillors, are very one dimensional as 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 councillors or as as party members. What what else, what else is uh, um, has taken you there? Well, I, I mean, I, I do work full time. I have a, a job in the uh, what we call the HVAC industry, heating, ventilating, and air conditioning, and I'm a a specialist when it comes to fire protection uh, in ventilation in, in uh, commercial buildings and such like. That's what I do day to day, which keeps me out of mischief, gets me out and about. So um, I still swim a bit. I used to be um, a national competition swimmer in my youth, and I also play a handball sport, and I do originally do that as well. Um, and over the past two and a half years, I've gone from no grandchildren to four grandchildren. So wow. I've a rough idea what my children were up to during without. Uh, <laughs> we're slightly before the watershed on that one, but you can draw your own conclusions. Absolutely, and uh, I guess the the uh, the 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 attraction of uh, granddad being free childcare has got to uh, got to come into play as well. That has happened over this weekend, I have to say, Ian. I, I had one of my, my grandsons with me this weekend overnight uh, who seemed to think that breakfast consisted of ice cream because it was granddad. So we had a, a few debates around that one, shall we say, but it's fair to say you got spoiled rotten, as you, as you do. Grandparents Absolutely. can just give them back afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your child <laughs> seems very excitable now and full of sugar. Um, bless you. There, uh, there, there you go. He's back with his parents now, so that's their problem, not mine. <laughs> so okay, brilliant. Thank you, Simon. So, um, so what was it that attracted you to the to the leadership role? Um, we've got a good team of uh, of councillors in the Conservative group. I did do it once before, prior to Donna Jones. Um, I had to step down for. For personal reasons and hand over the baton to Donna who was my deputy leader at the time and I guess there was an element of a bit of unfinished business and I think there were a majority of the group that considered uh, perhaps the fact that I was what they call the older statesman which um, I'm not that old is perhaps I was probably the best person to take the group forward so I was happy to accept that and uh, and have taken on the role. Okay well um, it's interesting how how I mean it's quite interesting you're saying that because people's kind of journey to leadership roles and indeed actually onto the council is usually quite a there's never usually a direct path it's there's usually kind of loads of twists and turns I guess with everything else in life isn't there um so um so we're, we're bound to ask um because you you're um you um you you being selected into the into the leadership role for the um for the uh, for the Portsmouth Conservative Group on um representing the um on Portsmouth City Council, um, which which only came about actually only a few months after after um, your predecessor uh, Matthew Atkins w was selected. What what what, what was it, what's kind of happened that's that's caused there to be that caused the vacancy? <coughs> I, I think with Matthew, it was. I mean, as people know, he is um, uh, a lecturer at Portsmouth University. And I think uh, even though he has his aspirations and his ideas, I think it was very fair to say that he, he suddenly found the role of being a group leader and all of that that it entails, because quite clearly what people can see as a, as a public meeting schedule for councils and the committees 
when it comes to the role of group leader, there are a myriad of other uh, commitments that you have to undertake um, to represent your group. And that, coupled with the pressure of being a university lecturer and the start of the new term, it was just that something had to give in in uh, in his life in that respect. So uh, we we held a group meeting and um, they elected me to to replace Matt. And we saw I saw in the evening news a uh, you know evening news tends not to give um, particularly long articles a little touch on your your vision for for Portsmouth. Would you like to expand on on your vision for Portsmouth and and perhaps how that maybe differs from from Donna or Matt's? I don't think my vision necessarily differs too much from either Donna or Matt's uh, in that respect because it's a it largely it's a conservative vision and I think if I had a radical change in direction then the group probably wouldn't want me as their leader if they had a, a different view after all we are we are a democracy in our group as much as uh, they are in the liberal democrats and the labor group in, in that respect um but, but certainly we need to look at the at the green agenda very closely we're already coming up with uh, a lot of ideas that we want to put forward in our in our budget um Traditionally, when you're opposition, your budgets don't get through, but you tend to find that any good ideas you may well have tend to get adopted by the administration party anyway. Um, that's the nature of, uh, of politics in Portsmouth. Um, but also, um, it, it's what I see and hear around my ward as much as anything else. We need to start getting back to basics. Um, there, there are, are too many grand schemes that are, are being floated as, as vote winners and really we're losing sight of things like um, the bin collections um, the streets uh, are not as clean as they as they used to be I mean certainly if I look at Drake and Farlington point of view we've had a complete mess with our, our bin collections um, over the past sort of uh, um, four, four or five months not being collected on the appropriate days through um, taking a lorry out of service so they can actually um, uh, reroute the services a little bit to save money. We've even got residents in Drayton and Farlington now that are cutting their own verges because it, it never happens. We don't get street cleaners up in, in Drayton and Farlington, um, certainly not the automated ones. So we every time it rains up here, we've got flooding issues um, and, and everybody sort of holds their breath. and. That's an ongoing hot topic in certainly in in, in parts of Cossum and in parts of the lower areas of Drayton and Farlington. Every time we get heavy rain, we, we're getting floods. And, it, and it, sometimes you need to sort of like go back to the basics and say, let's get it right so that we've got cleaner streets. We're getting all the basics correct so that we can instill some pride in, in, in the city with, with amongst the residents. Because if, if you've got infrastructure that is is not working and falling apart then 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 people are not going to take the pride in the city that they've actually got i'd also go on and look at things like um uh, public services uh from a point of view of um buses um we've also got taxis and there are things uh, around that that we can look at doing certainly uh back in 2018 when i was traffic and transportation lead I was engaging with Stagecoach and with Volvo um, at the time to look to bring electric buses into Portsmouth. Um, we were pretty close to it there. There was an, there was an element of technology uh, issues around it, but 
certainly we were looking at uh, a very a very close with the stagecoach to replicating an arrangement that they have in Guildford. Um, that seems to have fallen away a little bit. Um, and, and I also introduced electric electric vehicle charging points both off and on street, which um, Lynn Stagg has, has carried on with, which is great to see. But the focus around the electric vehicle charging point seems to be largely around what is in the benefit of um, residents who don't have uh, the ability of having uh, off street res um, electric vehicle charging points. We need to roll it out a little bit more if we're trying to encourage things like the private hire trade to engage with electric vehicles because of the air quality issues, then we need to provide the infrastructure that's actually going to support that and encourage them to actually do that, which we don't really have at this moment in time. Would it be fair to say, though, Simon, some some of the really big issues, you know, we we, we know that, uh, you know, the, the, the whole issue of not quite so bad in the north of the city, but in the south of the city, particularly with, with the likes of... Um, you know the the congestion and the air quality. Is it a case though that the the really big issues always get kicked down the street because the solutions are politically toxic? Um, yes, uh, and I think I, I I would agree with that. I mean, the clean air zone is a good example of that. I mean, the government are imposing a clean air zone on us, and all right, it, it's my colour of government that are doing that, but I think. It's an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, we've had the, the edges of the clean air zone fiddled around with and taken Fratton Road out. Um, you could argue that was for, for political opportunism there. And recently we've had a report that's actually come through the cabinet where just about every single vehicle you can think of has been given a sunset clause with the exception of the private hire trade. Now, if you're going to have a clean air zone, you don't want to start introducing it and then say oh but by the way your vehicles have got another two to three years to be compliant we need to look at it now mm. uh, and noticeably um for anybody that's seen uh dust carts let's say going around the streets that tend to go at a very slow speed by the nature of what they're doing certainly over the summer months it was perhaps more noticeable with the weather but most of them are, are enveloped in, a, in, a, in a, almost in a, a a cloud of fog where they're actually belching out fumes. And you've got to look at it and say, you can't give these guys two to three years to sort that out. They really need to be doing that now. They're a contracted service. They should be looking to do what the city council want them to achieve in that respect. So you either do it or you don't do it. Um, you don't do it for some and, and not for others. And so those sorts of things need to be addressed. And, and sometimes you have to take... Um, difficult decisions for the for the benefits of the city that you live in. Certainly, I've got members in my group that have aspirations to go beyond being city councillors, and I fully support that. I don't. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm over 21. Um, I've been a councillor for 20 odd years. My family live here. So I look at it and trying to do the best for, for my family uh, and the place where I actually live. I have no aspirations to become an MP, and I question the sanity of anybody that does. But that's that's entirely up to them and what they they aspire to do. To be quite honest. Perfect. Thank you. So, I guess what's kind of clear to anybody that um, that looks at kind of what happens politically across the city, some 
some wards in the, in the city are are quite clearly kind of fortress conservatives. Some are fortress Lib Dem, um, and you know, it's, it, in in some areas, it, it kind of seems that you know that actually kind of seems to be a given rather rather than actually something that seems to change over time. Do you, th- do you is there any? Do, what would you? What reasons would you say that there are, there might be that 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 particular wards might might repeatedly return the the same party? Um. <coughs> I don't think there are that many um, wards that actually do that, Simon. I mean, I've got 20 years of history with the City Council. Um, when I first got elected, St Thomas was entirely Conservative. Central South, he had two, conser- uh, I think it was one Conservative and two Labour. Um, uh, Hillsey was two Labour and one Conservative. In fact, as I recollect at that time, Alastair Thompson who was the Conservative, uh, actually got there by drawing lots. Otherwise, it could have been three Labour candidates there. And certainly, if you look at Paulsgrove, that has historically been um, three Labour councillors until quite recently, actually, probably in the last sort of eight, ten years. And even if I look at Drayton and Farlington, we went through um, a period, and, and I know there are lots of comments made about sticking a blue rosette on a donkey and it will get elected in Drayton and Farlington. But we still have to work at it. We still we still hold monthly surgeries, and we still are out and about uh, meeting people and putting literature out. Because if you if you get complacent about things, these the, it will drift away. And, and Paulsgrove arguably is a good example of a degree of Labour complacency, which has seen the Conservatives are now an independent actually get elected, so that there are no Labour councillors there at all. I mean, Drayton Farlington back in. Uh, in about 2004, 2005, the majority was was about 150, um, which I appreciate with some wards is is quite high, but traditionally in Drayton and Farlington, 150 is is a problem as far as we're concerned. But we've we, we've dealt with it and we've addressed it. But you also got to factor in there that that some wards the council teams work very well. Um, there are some hardworking councillors from all parties across the city, and and even though you're not likely to get elected as an independent on your own track record, you, you people recognise the work that their local representatives are actually uh, undertaking on their behalf, and, and they will sometimes look for that person to vote for that particular person. So, uh, and I, I agree with you. I think um, I think you're right. When you, if you as you kind of look back over time, there's there's certainly been lots of changing the hands for want of a better phrase in lots of places where um you know where um political parties either lose their ability to campaign or, or indeed they've got they've got complacent and, and they do change over time but it, it, it when you look at it kind of at the now it's only a snapshot i guess of history isn't it so i i, I get what you're saying there and i mean drayton finance is a bit of an example where and i mean i wasn't i would never be as unkind as to say pin a blue rosette on a donkey i mean my my metaphor was stick one on a tesco trolley but um but uh, but nonetheless, yeah, but it's, we only have a, we only have a Sainsbury's up here, uh, Simon. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, there, there's no I in my name, so I, 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 no connection. Um, but it's um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of um, yeah, I, I can I can see what you mean there. That over time, actually, if you rest on your laurels, it, it's a lesson. It's a lesson um, for all, isn't it? Which I guess kind of takes us neatly in a segue to the next question, doesn't it? Ian? 
Yeah, indeed. So we we covered the uh, you know we covered the local extensions pretty uh, pretty extensively, including having a, a number of online hustings. I guess how much of a surprise was it to the Conservative group the the success that George Madgewick had, uh, not just in winning the seat, but in in seeming to mobilise a, a whole section of Paulsgrove who who previously didn't turn out to vote. Um. It was a surprise, I have to say. We had a, a very strong candidate there in, in, in Tony Hewitt, who uh, we, we consider to be um, a really good, strong candidate to take the, the seat. Um, I, think, I think it's probably fair to say that there might have been a bit of disillusionment with, with party politics, which could be a wake-up call for every political party in, in, in that respect, because what he's done is, is reasonably unique. It, it depends how uh, the proof in the pudding now is, is how George is going to perform over his, his next four years, in all honesty, because being a, an independent is a, a lonely place to be. Um, we've only really ever had one other successful independent in Peter Ashley, who was before my time. Um, but it, it's down to him and... It, it, and he's got to stick to his election pledges. Uh, he, he was uh, uh, all in favour of remaining uh, as an independent um, and how he pitches his allegiances going forward. Um, it will be an interesting thing to see uh, what he actually does. I mean, certainly when, when I've spoken to him, um, it's been a case of well, what would the Conservatives offer me because Gerald's already offered me a cabinet position to join the Liberal Democrats. Now, whether that's fact or fiction is is neither here nor there. But it, but it's George's perception with his electorate that if he wants to get re-elected, is is what he's actually got to to address and be true to his uh, his his points. I I certainly have always been like that in in Drayton and Farlington. Um, with, with regards to being honest to my electorate, if I can't deliver something, I, I will tell them I can't deliver it and I will give them the reasons why. So at least they can't turn around and say, you promised this and you haven't delivered it. Do, do you think that, uh, and it, uh, again, it's going to be without wishing to draw any into looking ahead too far, you know, Simon and I, because we love a spreadsheet and, uh, you know, it, it's going to be very interesting next year that the, the two members of the Portsmouth Progressive People's Party, who are sort of semi-independents, both are up for re-election um, next May. Um, do, do you see a challenge to the main parties from independents, or was George possibly just a flash in the pan? Uh, um, I, think, I think if you actually look at George's success, I think that is going to give a degree of encouragement um, to others to say if, if one has done it, then there are opportunities for others. Um, I, I think, um, I mean, let's face it, with, with, the, with the two Portsmouth Progressive uh, Party members, they were both elected on a party ticket in the first place and they actually chose to, to step aside. But it may well give um, uh, an opportunity. And I, and I think it, even though it was a ward that the Conservatives hoped to take, I think it is a sounding call for the benefit of all the local parties to say that we can't just be focused on to what each of the three of us are up to and what we can achieve. We're going to have to look to say, 
there is going to become opportunities from others, particularly if they're looking to stand in the wards where they actually live. Um, and we, we need to take those sorts of people seriously. Um, and uh, certainly from the Conservative point of view, uh, we've, we've done a, a lot of analysis on uh, what actually happened and how we can address it. And we will do our best to take that forward into the next elections, no matter which ward they're in and whether there are any independents standing. I wouldn't be surprised if come May 2022, um, we actually saw more independent type candidates standing in various wards in the city. Uh, and I think for the main political parties, we write them off at our peril. It's, um, I mean, it's an interesting point that's, um, to be honest, that's, that's, that finds consensus in the, in the comments. Um, we've got um, Councillor Lee Hunt has, um, has commented that, um, that he feels that um, George Madrick and his independents will do well as they, um, as they wish to work hard and that in Wells um, and other places, independents do well, so, so why not here? So I guess it is a, a, you know, a word to the wise, isn't it, as that all parties, regardless of you know, which party that is, they need to keep their eyes open and, um, and, uh, and not, not fall into the danger of, of, um, of complacency. Um, and uh, Tim also reminded us that um, because of the delayed local elections, um, just to remind our listeners, um, in Portsmouth, we elect one of the three councillors um, in each ward um, in the city, three out of the four years. So every so three of out of four years, there will there will be a one of your three ward councillors up for re-election um, in each of the fourteen wards in the city. Um, and um, Lee reminds us that because of that delay, uh, sorry, not Lee, I beg your pardon. Tim reminds us that um, that that George's term would be a, would be a three-year term because of the. The elections we had this year were meant to be the elections that we had last year, but they were put off because of. Um, yes, of COVID. I think I think we're all, um, uh, all a bit discombobulated. We lost a year in our lives, haven't we? In uh, in twenty twenty, we 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 have indeed in in so many ways. Um, but um, it certainly caused consternation with I guess with lots of campaigning and um and and how to organise things, uh, yeah. and get things done. But it is an interesting case in point. So thank you for that. Um, I forget which one's the next one. Is it you? Or, is it you or me, Ian? Well, you have you have you have thrown a curveball in by putting two question fives into the mix, which well, is uh, it, 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 <laughs> so. This one is yeah. This this one is you. Okay. Right. Okay. Um. Okay. So, uh, I know we touched on it a bit earlier. Obviously, um, Donna is a well-known uh, character locally, um, well-known um, political force locally, and indeed, obviously, she was successful in, in being elected as the Hampshire Police and Crime Commissioner. So, she's definitely a, a, a well-known force in local politics and, and big shoes to fill. How how do you think that you'll you'll manage that as a comparison of um, of as a political operator and as a as a character? Um. Well, I'm not looking to fill Donna's shoes at all, to be quite honest. I'm looking to wear Simon Bosch's shoes going forward with uh, how we do it. I don't think much will change. Donna was a very successful leader of the Conservatives and of an administration in her time here. She's uh, moved on to, to pastures new. And uh, I, I, I'm very reluctant to look backwards. Um, she has her, her legacy reports in City Council. Um, it's about looking forwards as far as I'm concerned. So it isn't about Donna's shoes, it's about Simon Bosch's shoes. And indeed, it, the same will apply to any member of my my team. I've got a, an excellent team with a, a widespread of, of expertise, both 
in their respective fields and in their uh, their work life outside of, um, uh, of of politics, and it's about giving them the opportunity to to step up and fill their own shoes and, and carve their own careers um, in in local politics. And indeed, with with some that may have aspirations to go even further, as I said before, I'm, I'm more than happy to assist them uh, in any way that I can to to help them achieve their. Their, their their dreams so to speak if, if that's what they choose to do but it's my it's my shoes and my feet now good answer so if we look back and i know you do said you don't like to but we've got to look back at may uh, and the may elections where you know we saw the conservative group become the the, the biggest group um on the council but i think what became abundantly clear is that effectively you know Labour are always going to give a leg up to the Lib Dem administration. I guess the the, the challenge, that, that probably your biggest challenge, Simon, is going to be how can the Conservatives um, get to the point where they get to an absolute majority? Because it seems until then, the the the, the Labour team are always going to give the leg up to the uh, to the Yellow team. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh... I guess the um, vote Labour get Liberal Democrat message is is uh, is out there. It, it's not a secret anymore. I think a lot of Labour voters will probably have been very disappointed at the speed at which they were happy to vote for the Liberal Democrats. Um, in that respect, if the, if the Conservatives are going to get an outright majority, then we make inroads into the Portsmouth South constituency, start taking more seats down there. That's where our focus is going to have to be. And indeed, the same would apply to the Liberal Democrats. Um, if they're looking for an outright majority, then they're going to have to make significant inroads into, into the Tory heartlands in, in Portsmouth North, effectively. Um, that That's where our focus would be. And I suggest that... Um, um, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at Lee Hunt making little comments there. Um, <laughs> But uh, but but that's where where we're going to have to to make the inroads. Um, it's going to be a tough ask. I think um, that's been shown in the recent general election with uh, Stephen Morgan slightly bucking the trend, um, and and seats tend to just uh, flick between uh, Labour and uh, and the Liberal Democrats down there, with the exception of um, where we have down in um, uh, Eastney and Craneswater. But I say, but but I say, looking back, if you look at it, you can go back to say St Thomas was was largely a conservative area. So there, we've we've got to be looking at why why we no longer really feature in places like that, and what we can do to actually address that. But I think we need to be looking at the south of the city if we're going to get that majority. Otherwise, we're going to be constantly having one party propping up another uh, in the south of the city just to try and maintain the administration. But Labour make no no bones about it. Um, if the Conservatives said it was uh, one colour, then Labour would swear blind. It's it's another colour. They will not support the Conservatives in in any shape or form. Well, I, I, I guess I, the thing to remember is they they. I'm mean, sure your your knowledge will correct me if I, if I, if I'm wrong, Simon. But didn't they do that in 2014? And they weren't exactly rewarded for doing that in in you know in return in returning. So I guess. Is it really that they're they're guaranteed to support a Liberal Democrat administration, or is it more of a given that they absolutely definitely wouldn't support a Conservative administration because they'd receive a kicking from their um, from their members and supporters? Is that 
it kind of puts well, an interesting dynamic, doesn't it? Well, with the with the rest of the world, I mean, they've obviously got their reasons for it. I wouldn't like to second guess what's happening at Labour Party HQ in, in Portsmouth um, because it baffles me at times. Um, but but each vote actually has three choices. It either has a for or against or an abstention. Mm-hmm. Um, they've made a conscious effort to actually vote in favour of a Liberal Democrat administration. They do have that option to abstain if they don't want to get into that particular bum fight. Um, but they, 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 they make their choices accordingly. Yeah, no, we did all the, all the maths on that. And it, it was fascinating because, um, because when we did the maths on it, had they have abstained um, and had the progressives backed the Lib Dem administration as we thought they would, it would have actually come down to George Madgwick having the casting vote as to, uh, as to who, was, uh, who, would, who would take the tiller. So, um, so I think, I think to Simon's point, the the anyone but the Tories approach was probably what tipped them over the edge. Mm. So, just looking at the city, it it does feel like at the moment, I, I guess, like there is a north south divide. Uh, you know, the Portsmouth North Conservative Association, of which I am a proud member, seem you know very strong, seem very active. Um, it, it feels like the south of the city perhaps has has lost its way a little bit as. As a conservative group, how, how would you hope to reinvigorate that? Uh, we have. <clears throat> uh, I don't know how the other uh, the other two parties are structured. I, I suspect they have one association that covers the whole of the Portsmouth area. <clears throat> the Conservatives are subtly different. If that's the case, the fact that we have associations uh, that that reflect the geography of uh, the parliamentary boundaries. So we have a Ports of North Association and we have a Ports of South Association. Um, even though uh, my role doesn't interfere with the goings on with the associations, they are effectively our, our Lords and Masters. Um, I'm going to be working to make sure that um, the two associations are working very, very close together. And indeed, uh, I'm sort of pushing at an open door there. We've got two excellent chairmen in Terry Norton and Rob New um, who are working very closely together so that we have a, a consistent campaign that goes out across the city. It is, um, I mean, it is interesting that, because I, I know, I, I'm not sure about how how the Labour Party's um, structured, but I suspect um, you're right that it's a, <coughs> it's a city-wide, but then subdivided into, into branches. I know that the Lib Dems is a is basically a city wide for the two constituencies, um, but you, um, but it's interesting that considering we have a, a battle usually between uh, between the Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives for control of the council, but at the moment when it comes to uh, the constituencies, you know we've you know Penny Morden's got um, let's be honest an unassailable majority in, in Portsmouth North. Um, and um, and and Stephen Morgan is very good at using his brand and a, a very um, very strong um, MP in, in Portsmouth South. So it, it's kind of it, Portsmouth's a bit weird in that sort of way. From when it comes to local politics, there seems to be a different choice between a, a choice between blue and X. Whereas when it comes to national politics, when it comes between blue and X, the X is quite clearly quite clearly Labour. Um, and as you said, Labour, um, Stephen Morgan bucked the trend of the Labour Party overall at the last general election. 
um, and actually gained um, share um, share of the vote, whereas um, whereas across the country um, they'd actually kind of dipped. So it's it it's quite an interesting one, isn't it, that the city splits in those two different ways, that the voter seems to make a different choice depending on what type of election it is and actually who's standing. <coughs> yes, I think you're right. I mean, <coughs> uh, speaking from my my own experience, um, um, I, I've actually um, stood uh, at the same time as a, as a local when there's been a general election. <coughs> and it's very interesting that the, all my other elections, <coughs> the questions on the doorstep have been about local issues. It's, it's been about the local environment, the local parks, the local infrastructure, largely to do with Drake and Farlington. But when you get to a, a, a crossover where you, you've actually got one election day with regards to both national and local, um, the questions that I get asked as the local candidate then move into more issues like the NHS, foreign policy, defence, all those sorts of areas where I have very little, little influence. But it depends where the focus of the, of the, the electorate moves to when you have those sorts of particular issues. Uh, probably uh, true for a lot of candidates, again, of different parties that may well have stood um, on, uh, been on their own, that they're being uh, asked questions about the local street scene and their and their own individual roads. But when it actually comes to the general election, probably the questions actually shift a little bit. And that's where the influences actually um, take over. And certainly the late Ken Elkham, um, again in Drayton and Farlington, he used to dine out on the fact that he his last election, that, where he was re-elected, coincided with a general election with Penny, he dined out on the fact that he had a, a 4,000 majority in, in Drayton and Farlington, which was pretty much unheard of. And we had to point out to him that it was actually probably more to do with Penny in the general election than it was actually to do with, with Ken's good looks and nature. <laughs> it, it's a strange one isn't it i guess with any with any form of election you don't you're all all of you know people can um vacillate all they all they want about about the numbers but the only answer they know the, the only question they know the answer to is who do you want to vote for they will we can always guess about why um and what their motivators for but uh, um but it's a it's an in, it is an interesting one to kind of kick around a bit and to try to understand how it is and and perhaps um to think that that's an odd thing that the, the voters in portsmouth are able to make a different response to a different question actually is a um just shows that you know voters aren't stupid they're quite capable of making oh, no. decisions <laughs> absolutely not which is why you mm. know I, I work my ward uh i like to think very hard so we have our our monthly surgeries we get a pretty good uh Turn out of residents to come along. To, we will sort out literature. I mean, we we aren't made of money in uh, lo locally in the um, in the party, despite, despite what others say. We have a finite budget. We will be targeting some wards and not others. And certainly, Drayton and Farlington will not be one of those target wards. Point adding another fifty or sixty votes to to Drayton and Farlington and and losing seats elsewhere in the city. It doesn't make any logical sense um, as, as far as I'm concerned but seeing what's happened in the likes of Paul's Grove and and even year arguably which would certainly going back to when it was rock solid uh, Labour Ward and the fact that 
they certainly took their eye off the ball there. They were concentrating on winning seats elsewhere and they, they took their eye off the ball, came to Paulsgrove and they lost it. So you, you've got to protect what you've got as much as anything else. And that largely comes down to either the candidates or the sitting councillors actually putting in a shift. And that shift doesn't happen six weeks before their re-election. That shift, as far as I'm concerned, happens on day one after they've got elected. <coughs> Indeed. And is the next... Do you want to take the next one, Ian? <coughs> so... <coughs> Simon and I, look, we don't have to sit through them, you do. Um, but the, the full local council meetings are, are often full of motions <laughs> that are calling on the council to write to the government to complain about something, or there is, the, 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 the motions appear to be a, a grandstanding gesture. And, and obviously, after 12 hours of fun, I'm sure... You know, everybody's had enough of that. How, how, you know, if you, how do you think that can change? And 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 as as the Conservative leader, is that something that you're going to focus on in terms of of trying to make that business of full council more meaningful and less, shall we say, pantomime? Uh, I've I've often said, and my my group will probably uh, agree with me that full council meetings tend to be eight hours of my life. I'm not going to get back. Um, and all the focus tends to be around notices of motion. And sometimes what starts at the beginning of the agenda, there are some really serious, strong topics that sometimes just seem to get nodded straight through without so much as a, um, a second thought. We're in a curious situation where with some of those, you have to oppose them to be able to speak them, even if you actually agree with them. So you're you're starting out by opposing something when you're not actually going to oppose it. Because, uh, and sometimes I've done it and there have been other councils from other parties have, have done it where they've opposed to speak to something purely because they think it, it is a serious issue that's to be discussed even though they agree with it. But notice of motion and some of them that go down there, I mean, there have been that we've looked at and said, we could have supported that because the notice of motion was pretty valid it was it was well 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 written but there's always a paragraph in there um which seeks to bash the government of the day or take a snipe at the administration to make it unpalatable so the nature of the notice of motion may be a good one but it's actually getting lost because there is that little bit in there that is trying to get an opposition or administration party not to vote for it. So then the Twitter feed's going out, the administration hasn't supported this or, or the Conservatives uh, have, have ignored that. And sometimes you look at it and you think, really, if you hadn't put that little bit in there, we could have had a five minute debate, all agreed it, had a plan of action and moved it on. But it's where, that's where it, it, it perhaps needs addressing, I think. But that's down for the individual groups to look at it from, a, are they doing it from a political point of view or are they doing it from a Portsmouth point of view? And these things are coming in more and more and more. And I, and I do find it frustrating because we all have group meetings before council meetings. We all look at the agenda. We all see exactly what the others are trying to do with it. And you sometimes you look at it and you think, that's going to be an hour's worth of debate about that, but we know exactly how everybody's actually going to vote before we even get there. 
Uh, and it's, it's frustrating. And is is there room for to to have those dialogues within the group leaders? Because you know we, we've we've read them before, and you know the motion before this council is that kittens are cute, and by the way, all Tories smell of wee, and I don't mean the French perfume. So obviously the Tories aren't going to vote for that, which means that the Twitter goes out with Tories hate kittens. Um, you know, is there is there any chance that we move towards a more mature politics where the the you know the the group leaders actually start to have those dialogues that say, "Oh, for Christ's sake, can we just not waste each other's time?" Um, I'd like to hope so. I mean, um, I, I I became group leader on um, a Friday because that's when we hold our group meetings, and Gerald was one of the first people I had a long conversation with on the Sunday. I've always had a, a I'd like to think a good relationship with Gerald. Um, we, we regularly pick up the phone. We have done several times this week. He actually sat in our group room at some point last week and we had a conversation and uh, um, that doesn't often happen. So I, I think there are opportunities there. Um, George Madgwick approached me for a meeting. We, we sat down and, and, and had a chat over a, over a coffee. Um, sadly, the one person that I have reached out to and said perhaps we can have a chat is, is George Fielding. Uh, and as of as of yet, he's not even returned my call. And I've been group leader for what month now? Yeah, just about a month, just over a month. And he's chosen not to engage me at all, which is disappointing because you've got to ask yourself: Are you doing Are you doing your role for your political party, or are you doing it for the benefit of improving Portsmouth? I, I would argue my position is that I'm trying to do it for the improving the benefit of Portsmouth because by default. <laughs> it improves the conditions for my family and my friends. Well, and I think Simon and I have touched on this before. <laughs> you know, the, the vast majority of people who get into local politics, you, you don't do it for the fame or the big bucks. You know, there is an element of, of you know, the, the, the vast majority of people we've had on the podcast, irrespective of their allegiance, are, are people who genuinely at their heart want to do the best for the city and it feels like sometimes you know, despite this being a political podcast the politics gets in the way it does which um i do like engaging with my local residents uh, and having a, a chat with them it's where i get perhaps the most satisfaction uh, out of what i've done uh, do and the moment i start to tire of that that's when i look at it and say is this the time to to hang up my cloak and, and move on to pastures new? <coughs> Perhaps uh, the the easiest example I can give, and it's an anecdote that I put out before, and it was probably about uh, 2007-2008. I, I was contacted by an elderly lady um, whose, whose streetlight outside her house wasn't working, and could I get it sorted out for her? It wasn't difficult. You know, I, I had the. Uh, she told me where she lived. I got the reference number off the lamp post, pinged into the city council. Can you sort it out? And it was done 24 hours later. That's what it's all about. But probably about seven or eight days later, I got a four-page handwritten letter from this lady, thanking me essentially for what I did, which essentially wasn't a great deal. It, it was a, it was a couple of telephone calls, but it was about her her quality of life, her security. She lived on her own and all those sorts of things. So I sort of looked at it and thought, you probably spent more time writing that letter, posting it, than I actually did to get that actually sorted out. And it's those sorts of things that I think if we as councillors lose focus 
on those sorts of things, then that's the time where we need to seriously look at us and say, am I in this for the right reasons? And it's those sorts of things that I get the most satisfaction out of, of helping out the local people. And what, what I, I may think are, are straightforward issues, but to them, they are much bigger. In, in, in this lady's case, it was all about her fear of crime, her, her uh, security issues, because the street light was covering the front of her house in darkness because the bulb had gone. Thank you. So, um, so from your from your response to that, that kind of moves us on to uh, onto the next one. Kind of trying to find the the, the common sense and the um, uh, I guess the the um, the the room for agreement. Um, I think it's I think it's a fair um, description to say that the full council meetings are a bit of a pantomime. Um, but other other than that, and I, I suppose it's probably only lots of people like us or campaigners that actually probably religiously watch the the full council meeting, um, and certainly all of it. Um, but it, when when it comes to election time, all of the all of the parties tend to tend to put out their um, their communications. Usually these days, that's still in that's still in leaflets. Um, um, so we're still kind of shedding loads of loads of um, loads of dead trees to to get that message out there. But it's, all all of the parties, to some degree or another, you see you see different sit sets of information in in their literature uh, and in their digital communications. So whether it's um, whether it's a dubious, dubiously chosen survey results or or horrific bar charts or news about traffic schemes um plans that, that that don't exist how how important is it to you that that um that political candidates don't misinform the public and actually are presenting uh, information that enables them to to make a reasoned judgment about who to vote for um I think you're referring to the uh, the notorious Lib Dem bar charts that we've all seen with not winning here. Um, I, th I think I think uh, residents across the country have wised up to to that one and and uh, and uh, the basic scale of, uh, of what they actually do. Um, certainly, an expectation that, uh, from my point of view going forward that the literature is is as accurate as it can be. I think it's fair to say that. On certain issues, you're always going to get a political spin uh, on it. That's to be expected um, in, in that respect. Um, but you've got to look at it, and perhaps I look at it when, when I'm doing my literature and say, if I say this, is it going to come back and bite me hard at some point in the future? Uh, and if there is either a question mark or a yes against that, then I'm not going to put that out in, in my literature for next May. Um, but if the answer is is no, because I'm comfortable with the message that I'm putting out, then then I will put it out. I think we all get a little bit inflamed with with some of the literature that gets put out from from all parties. I think um, you know, what they're actually saying because it it slightly differs perhaps from uh, another person's perception of it. But generally speaking, I think most of it is is, is accurate. I think the inaccuracies come when you start trying to quote opposition councillors and you've got to be so careful when you actually quote opposition councillors or, or, or opposition candidates for that matter and make sure that you're, you're factually correct if you're going to go down that route. Arguably, I, I wouldn't go down that route of quoting it. And it, doesn't, and it also applies to all other manners, uh, manner of campaigning. Um, uh, and a lot of parties uh, like to move into the street stall scenario. 
uh, again, when I was up for election four years ago, um, the Labour Party, uh, and, I, and I will will name the party, decided to hold some street stalls in Drayton because they were actively campaigning up in Drayton. Um, and and the candidate uh, uh, or the candidate's representative at that time that was stopping people in Chattenham was actively telling them that, that Simon Bosher didn't live in Drayton and Farlington. Now, arguably, that's a little bit wrong in, in the very first instance. But unfortunately, the, the people he actually told it to were my flaming parents. I lived, And unfortunately, my father is not exactly backwards in coming forward with his views. Um, so you've got to be careful when you're engaging in those sorts of uh, conversations, even out and about on the doorstep, because you never really have an insight into that person that's opening the front door to you, unless you know they're a card-carrying member of your party or somebody you know personally. And, and that must have been a marvellous moment for your dad. I'm sure he rubbed his hands together. Oh, so tell me about this Bosher chap. You know, I, I need to know more about him. <laughs> well, I mean, all right, it, it, the, 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 guy, uh, the, the, the guy that was there was offering the information, so my dad wasn't really asking. No. They're, they're, they're died and they're all conservatives, you can imagine. They were just going to go wandering on straight past to do what they wanted to do, but he actively stopped them and, and engaged. But, you know, you've got to be so careful about what you say. I mean, it, it, it is funny and you do say about it, but sometimes you don't, but... It's certainly something that my dad's still dining out on, that's for certain. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so ju just as we come to the end of the show, Simon, kind of conservative to conservative, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously we're at the stage where, you know, the, the Conservative Party still holds, a, 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 you know, the polls are still in our favour. Um, <laughs> you know, we've, we've got an 80-seat majority, but... I guess one of the things I'm struggling with as a fiscal conservative is that we've we seem to have this sort of mad spend and tax policy at the moment. I guess what would your message be to fiscal conservatives like myself to encourage us to keep the faith? <laughs> I, I think we, we we don't need to lose focus uh, over the fact that we've actually had. Um, a pretty uh, devastating pandemic over the past 18 months. And to a certain degree, it, it's still going on. And uh, with the things like the furlough scheme, the, the government spent an awful lot of money to actually keep people in employment and keep things working. That, to me, needs to be paid for to, to, to a point. Um, I think the approach with uh, upskilling jobs that we've heard from the Prime Minister recently will generate more tax income anyway. Certainly, I, I'm... We are, we, we are in a situation where everything that was um, spent over the past 18 months to actually keep the economy going and to keep the country moving uh, needs to have a price ticket and be paid for at some point. Mm. I, I, uh, my party is um, traditionally the party of um, low taxation. Um, uh, I, I noticed Tories, uh, Lee Hunt saying the Tories misled voters at the general election. They said no tax rises in tax. But last general election and now we've actually had a pandemic um, and uh, I don't think anybody could have envisaged that going forward in the way that they couldn't envisage the 2008 crash that we had in the economy and and Gordon Brown flogging off all the gold uh, uh, next to no no prices. These these sorts of things come along from time um, and, I, and I would like to think that 
going forward, the tax rises are, are largely going to be temporary. Um, I like to think that we're going to get back to uh, the, the, the party of low taxation going forward. Um, but I think we do need to, to, to stimulate the economy and start paying the, uh, the COVID pandemic bill. 407 billion. It's, uh, that's quite a credit card bill. But then, uh, but then you've got to look at it and say, <clears throat> what, what could we have done? Sat yep. back and done nothing? Or alternatively, we could have gone down the labour route and, and spent money to going twice that. Because obviously with Jeremy Corbyn's uh, promise of free sweeties on everything at the 2019 general election, would he still have been delivering that and paying everything going forward? They've all been calling for extensions to the furlough scheme and um, uh, and extending it to, to uh, a lot of other aspects of society. But you've got to sort of thing, um, you've got to look at it and say, it needs to be paid for. That, that's the way I'm looking at it, to actually get us back to a degree of, uh, of economic stability going forward. We just can't keep writing blank checks. And I would defy any party in government to keep writing blank checks to support the uh, support it going forward. Even Keir Starmer is beginning to row back on on Jeremy Corbyn's views. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Simon, thank you ever so much. Um, that's been a fascinating insight, and uh, uh, that's been uh, that's been superb. So you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny Morris, and our guest has been. Uh, Councillor Simon Bosher. And I've been Simon Sansbury. Um, don't forget to join us next week um, when we'll be asking a party member from each of the three major parties to tell us the top three things from each of their party conferences. <laughs>